the covered headsman. I noticed that it um, has Barbara Shelley in it. Yeah, Barbara Shelley, um, uh, uh, Hammer Horror favourite. Who has two Avengers points. George Pastel, who has one. Uh, Robert Cordron, who I think was actually born in France, but appears to have spent a great deal of his career playing British detectives. Uh, he's got two points. Then there's Carol Gray, who has one. Barbara Roscoe, one. And then Jack Arrow, which is a wonderful name, who has one point. Peter Brace, four and a half points. Remind us about the half The half point is if you appeared in the new Avengers, because... I, I didn't think you spoke about that. I thought that was a no-go area. I'm so relieved we can now mention it. The elephant in the room. Architecturally speaking, it's the concrete, brutalist extension that's being stuck on the stately home. The carbuncle. Quite right. There are good things about it, Jonah Lumley being the best. I thought it was just going to be the fact that it stopped. (laughs) I thought that would be the the, the good thing about it. Went to Canada and stopped, yes. But interestingly enough, you get into the lower reaches of the credits uh, and, uh, say, Jack Arrow. And I looked him up. I thought, what else has he been in? Well, he's been in a lot and had a hugely long career, almost entirely uncredited the same goes with peter brace career mainly uncredited he may have actually been given a named credit somewhere along the line arthur goodman no points but 48 appearances in the saint uncredited so it's been just one of those people just hanging around um that would that would end up in stuff so people playing third tough man at bar Passerby at the Colosseum. You see, your, your CV is going to look really weak because none of them have got character names. You can usually tell when it's a poor adaptation of a big novel um, because very minor characters have two names, a first name and a surname. Uh, and you just think, well, I don't remember them being called that. And it's, it's not. They've just been kind of messed up in the mix in the adaptation process. Which is an- another interesting thing that we uh, might return to. But mm. I think that... When the opportunity arises, we should to celebrate those people who have made multiple appearances on television and watched history being made from the wings. Yes, yeah. Um, apparently one such person, um, and it's quite a fascinating um, CV to, to look up, is Guy Standeven. Oh, right. Now that rings a bell. <laughs> Welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan and my co-host is David Newell. And Dave, in the pre-ramble, we were talking about actors who had immensely long careers but seemed to be um, never to get a credit uh, at all in the cast list. Um, and you mentioned somebody called Guy Standeven. Yeah, he's, he's one of these, these fixtures uh, they, they used to be uh, in the 2000s or so. There used to be a website called Hey, It's That Guy. Um, not no, no, not mentioning you. It's just Hey, It's That Guy. Uh, and these were mainly American actors. And, and nowadays, they're probably you know recognised as being very well known or they're broken into stardom. But at the time, they would kind of be in the background or have small roles in American films and you just go, oh, hey, it's that guy who was in 
still the thing uh, um, and you know the idea is that as a, as a career you know people pro, you know progress like before they were famous where we see people in in like the background of things or playing extras or just like tiny like cough and a spit part um but you you have those people and guy stand even is is one of these people who has hundreds of hundreds of uh, i don't know is this is is this a kind of odd thing to say? Um, uncredited, credited appearances uh, in in film and and TV series, uh, and maybe it's almost like that that talismanic aspect of of saying just get me Guy Standing, we'll have him in you know in the background, and you know if we think of of work, you know having worked as extras, both of us having worked as extras on. <laughs> Um, on uh, um, on films, that notion of most of it, it's you're just hanging around, and you're hanging around and, and waiting for someone to say, "Oh yeah, we better start doing this now," because the extras are getting hungry or angry. Uh, either of those, we should never have and, given them those burning torches and pitchforks. It's like, oh, who? Oh, yeah, but who could have seen that happening? And the the idea of uh, of those those extras is that you know you would you would just always be in demand and we you know we have to look at the geography of it you know you were saying the other week about you know if you're an actor uh you know if you're home county's base you'd be laughing you know um home for, home in time for tea if you were doing a day's day's work uh, and therefore the, the had this this aspect of people just turning up turning up and 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 turning up um and guy stand even is is one of these people now i think uh, did we look at him and we we kind of like attempted to to look at how many um of these uncredited credited um uh, appearances uh he he has now let's have a look if we go to uh and worship at the altar of IMDb. Should point out, Guy's no longer with us, unfortunately. According to IMDb, he passed away in 1998. Um, but he has 358 appearances logged. You know, you've got uh, Inspector Morse, you've got Superman 2, you've got uh, Wings of the Dove, you've got Wild. Um, and in a marvellous piece of self-fulfilling prophecy he's in the film version of the saints the one with val kilmer um and guy i'm gonna say this i'm gonna flash up a warning now so i am mentioning one of your trigger points and i do apologize for that um he is also in the feature film version of the avengers ah! i did issue a trigger warning that's my job done uh i i i did my bit uh but yeah, he's uh, he's he's all over the place. He's 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 all over the place. Uh, uh, Fish called Wonder Buster, White Mischief. Uh, he managed to get in an episode of Matlock, um, the Whistleblower, uh, Crossroads. What a great uh, kind of like um, heritage. What a great legacy to to hand on to say to his uh, you know his family, his kids. Oh yeah, I was I was in this today. I was in I was in Smiley's People um today and then i was in eye of the needle uh, and i was also in for your eyes only uh, so hundreds of of big, and like i said a lot of big films chariots of fire uh the elephant man um a final conflict is is in so yeah loads and loads of stuff in terms of television what was his first tv credit 
All right, let's have a look. Going all the way back to to the beginning. Oh, crikey, there's loads here. Uh, we are going back to the 50s. TV series Scarlet Pimpernel. It's in the Count of Monte Cristo's in the Buccaneers. In which his part is just pirate, um, <laughs> uncredited. Yeah, didn't see that one coming. And then obviously just being a state, you know, Adventures of Robin Hood. So he must have had his own tights in the 50s. Uh, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. The Invisible Man, uh, Interpol Calling, um, Four Just Men, Danger Man. So, yeah, he's he's one of those people you just think, crikey, yes, he's got a, uh, you know, a marvellous back, you know, those Edgar Wallace mystery um, theatres. So, yeah, loads of them. Uh, Human Jungle, which I always quite liked, the TV series, Zed Cars. Uh, and yeah, you know, he's it, just one of those those people who just would presumably just walk from set to set uh, and and say, "All right, yeah, no, I'm to man in a suitcase." Uh, because you know, there's those there's those speaking parts that we that we sometimes see. And in 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 this week um, episode of the Saint, um, the Loaded Tourist. Uh, there's a marvellous little uh, um, piece by uh, a, a person playing an Italian customs official who uh, is asked by the, the, the one of the guest stars, who's that man over there? And he just says, why? Every policeman in the world knows who that is. That's Simon Templer, uh, which kind of highlights two things, uh, that it would have been hard for Simon Templer to go undercover or pull the wool over the eyes of any law enforcement officials um and you just wonder just was just like a picture circulated around uh, to all police departments this is simon templar which makes us wonder the the episode we mentioned the other week about um where the saint is hired by gangsters to kill simon templar uh, obviously that kind of level of communication isn't available in gangland groups no they o- don't have only in yeah. the police force Yes, only in, only in law enforcement. Uh, intriguingly, um, on this very point, given that he is so well known and he introduces himself as... As Signor Ravena, and thankfully the, the villain, Galen, just takes him at his word. Do you have the Robin Hood of crime? Why would he lie? He's <laughs> a thief, that's why. I was intrigued about the accent because there's a bit of stuff about shall we talk in Italian or shall we talk in English? And then Signor Galen says, I have so many customers from all over Europe, I'm not quite sure which language to use. So let's talk in Italian. And so that we know they're talking in Italian, there's a few phrases thrown in. And as you say, Roger Moore adopts a very mild Italian accent. Yes, like yours at the moment. (laughs) Certo. Va bene. And so I, I was just quite amused by that. And I thought, um, given that the previous episode, the covetous headsman, where mm. apparently Simon Templer was in the French Resistance at a very young age. Now, this this does bring up a bugbear of mine. 
and and in in the loaded tourist there was three count them three <laughs> of of these where a character is referred to and you find out their age in the loaded tourist the son who who becomes kind of like a little bit of a sidekick to the saint jurist played by joseph kuby describes himself as only being 16 which means that he can't do certain things i don't think he can buy his own booze um and he certainly can't get involved in international jewel smuggling that's kind of like a no uh, but in real life at the time he was 18 but you just think, well, actually, that's 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 close, close enough. And maybe he needed to be 16 for for the needs of the plot. However, his dad, played by Edward Evans, who, when his passport details are, are, are read out, is described as 53 at the time, when in reality, Edward Evans was only 48. He must have had a hard life. He looks quite old. However, the third character is um, one of the cops investigating the case, played by the actor uh, um, John Durth, and he's referred to as being 43. Because one of the characters says, yeah, he was 43 last birthday and he didn't like it. Um, and in reality, he was 43. Uh, and I wonder why why there is sometimes that tendency either to lie about a person's age or, or you think, well, actually, it shouldn't really make, make any difference of what, why not use their real age unless their real age kind of makes us think wait a minute i think they're a bit too old to be playing playing this part al pacino in heat uh, is as a cop vincent hannah as opposed to the tv journalist vincent hannah and he uh, uh, has a there's a secret file that john voigt has on him um, and apparently in the file we, we can see that he's 44 um, when un- uncle al was about 10 years older in in reality so there is there is a thing you say you, you're just lying you just like it's just a, a a thing i i just find a little bit irritating just go just use your real age because edward evans doesn't matter whether he's 48 or or 53 doesn't matter as long as there's a fairly recent photo in spotlight yes yeah so maybe it's just to show that they've still got range i don't know it could be i mean joseph kuby isn't it yes yeah as the son yeah yeah i mean he cropped up a couple of times in Danger Man. Can't remember if he played a prince or they just had him on speed dial for playing street urchin. Get me Joe. And he sort of acted all the way up to the end of the sixties, I think. And um I don't know what he did after that, but IMDB says that he's living in Gibraltar now, so presumably he's found a different career. Talking about Joseph Kuby's character in The Loaded Tourist, he's one of those very keen sidekicks who actually doesn't get in the way. I mean, I know he hides in the back of um, the, the Citroen he hires, uh, but he actually does some good at, at the end. He's, he's not just like a moving target and tripping over things and knocking stuff over. He does make a contribution. And, uh, you know, at the end, he seems in remarkably good spirits, even though, uh, you know, his dad's dead. And his stepmother turned out to be a um, swindling cheat who was out to kill him as well. But, but he never liked her. Yeah, he takes it quite well. I think it's because he, get, he gets that big box of jewels at the end, which is, he is entitled to because it's his inheritance. And he can go back to living in Rome, which is what he wants to do at the beginning. Well, it's the time of the Dolce Vita, isn't it? Yeah, because he's you know, the idea of that the family's moving to New York. What? Get out of here. Get out of here. 
Now, you mentioned that Citroen. Yes. Andrew Sachs, who played a not insubstantial role behind the hotel reception. Yeah, and obviously years later, still in the hotel industry, just not able to break out of that typecast. <laughs> but he says, oh, yes, the black Citroen. Now, of course, I'm expecting to see a Deus. You know, the sort of things that you see in Maygrave. Right? Oh, right. Those ones with the big curved back. That's right. And then kind of knelt down and rose up and did all that sort of stuff. And I'm wondering whether they chose the pre-war Citroen that looks like a gangster's car mm-hmm. because they had stock footage of it. I, I think maybe it is. It just fits in fits in nicely. Uh, you know, you wouldn't turn up for Avis at the moment, you know, for a car hire at the airport, and you're given, like, a Ford Angular. You would, you know, you just think, well, sorry, I'm not having that. Um, you got anything else? No. Uh, so, yes, maybe it is just the idea of, of an iconic style of, of design car as well, front opening doors. Yes, I mean, a, a thing about that breed of Citroen is that it does look like... A superior version of the Ford Popular. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's all style. So that was the Loaded Tourist. Which is written by Richard Harris, not that Richard Harris. Um, and Richard Harris, obviously TV staple, things like Shoestring and, uh, and what have you. But maybe he's best known for a hugely popular play to um, uh, Stepping Out with Liza Minnelli and uh, Shelley Winters which was huge hit in the West End, um, very, very good staple of, of Amdram Theatre, and it is about a faded music star uh, who is played by Liza Minnelli in the film, who is organising kind of like a, an Amdram performance of, of a musical number, and it's the disparate group of, of individuals that he worked with. And, yeah, it was a massive hit. He, did, he used to do a lot of stage work, did Outside Edge as well, one set in the cricket pavilion which was also became spin-off to a tv series so it was nice to see um you know a writer with a with a you know quite a range um to him like i said a good tv staple um but also able to to cut the mustard on stage i was going to ask about how the itv series that were perhaps brought in or the itc series they seem to have a little bit more longevity to them and and presence rather than kind of like mythical BBC series, which were, you know, either wiped or taped over or used as Christmas tree decorations. You know, the tapes were used for, for, for that. Um, ITV seems to have a better preservation record. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, definitely, because they were for international export. So they were shot on film. Yeah, oh, yeah, you'd have to look after it. And so if they they were kept on film, they were uh, sent out all over the world. So even if you had trouble maybe finding episodes uh, in this country, you hope that they might turn up in Nigeria or Australia or mm. in the Midwest of America. And... That makes it a lot easier. And I think also their production values were so much better. It's kind of strange when you look at something like Maigret, for example, which was done in collaboration with a, another company. And also, don't mm. forget, the, the BBC was also a co-producer of The Third Man with Michael Rennie. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Now, nearly all of those, I 
barring a handful of episodes, are still around. Now, whether they'll get repeated or not, I, I, I don't know. But both Maygrave and The Third Man, I think having that outside partner saying, we've got enough money, let's shoot it on film. Mm. And in Maygrave's case, let's go and actually do location shooting in Paris. Whereas if you get to something like Adam Adamant, it is mm. basically shot in a studio and any outside stuff appears to be unsynced 16 mil stuff that's being done on the back of a bicycle. Mm. So the production values aren't there for the BBC. It was all done in studio and that's where all the money went on the frocks and the wigs and the facial hair. It's, it's a shame then because then obviously there's loads of lost series. Like the, like the hugely popular Berlin Desk. Yes. Now, Berlin Desk has become mythical. You know, the idea of, of, of setting something in, in the, um, you know, the divided city of Berlin and the idea of, of having a, a kind of like a magazine um, that, that operates out there and they had like the, and the three main reporters who were French, American, and uh, English, and then they would rotate the the cast each week, uh, and investigating a and, and reporting on a on a story. And the fact that you know early sixties, um, Berlin was a place to be, or, or not be, depending on who you were. It was a hotbed of spies. Mm. So yes, I I think Berlin Desk is definitely due for a revival, at least on radio. Possibly, yeah. Because I know they've done that with, with, is it Doctor Who scripts, where they've, again, uh, you know, they've, they've either lost the, uh, the originals or they've been wiped or they've spilt jam on them, uh, and they've, they've recreated them, haven't they, either through sometimes modern animation or as audio adventures? Yes, and I think um, we could do something like that. I must say my animation skills aren't particularly up to scratch, so I think we might have to stick to radio for Berlin Desk. Okay, okay, uh, yeah. That um, original script that you found, I think, has definitely got legs. Proved, yeah, proved it, yeah, might prove its value. Um, one of the things that I, th I think maybe we, we could we could make this almost like a regular feature of of the Saint is sometimes um, thriller tropes, or or that we we see and we may be encountering for the first time. Now, in um, the episode from from last week, where George George Pastel is the is the villain. Um, and spoiler alert um, turns out to to be a a kind of collaborator as well when it came to to WWII and I think maybe it could be the first occurrence of a go bag a staple of modern thrillers nowadays when people have to leave very very quickly and they have like their go bag which has like fake passport money wig um, and perhaps some other personal items if they have to leave in a, in a great hurry and george pastel's character has a go bag he says i need my leaving bag and um his is a little bit more rudimentary because it just seems to contain a massive amount of cash and nothing else no wig or anything like that um and in in this week's the loaded tourist i did like the idea of someone reading a local newspaper very very close up to their face to obscure them even though they're meant to be keeping an eye on someone in the bar. So I'm not quite sure how that... Uh, do you cut eye holes out of, of, like, the front of the newspaper or or something? Uh, could that make me really noticeable? 
all of a sudden, wait a minute, hey, wait a minute, that picture of Khrushchev on the front of that paper, um, that he's got no eyes, he's got no eyes, Whoa, what's going on? So that is is one of those lovely, lovely features. And also, obviously not to arouse um, suspicion, I think burglars in hotels just need to look more carefully for things rather than um, just tear a room apart where you just get, no, just surely that's going to arouse suspicion. And another thing, if you're you, you're at reception and you're checking in and Andrew Sachs, as he does in this episode, is checking you in and then you see Simon Templer checking in, kind of, I'd, I'd go and look for an Airbnb <laughs> because you know at that hotel there's going to be death, there's going to be shooting, probably a stabbing and a burglary and loads of doors being kicked in. And I think all of those happen in The Loaded Tourist. You're going to get a lousy write-up on TripAdvisor because you've had someone plummet to smash into the pavement by the entrance and there's been loads of break-ins and gunplay. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to a Premier Inn where I can have as much brekkie as I can handle. Like you, I'm surprised about how careless the burglars are because in The Covetous Headsman, I think they basically tore the place apart and threw stuff around. Um, it is. It's like those buses that in, when you're going into, uh, well, certainly around Leeds anywhere, and you notice that there's just been loads of ripped up copies of, of the Metro, the free newspaper on the bus, um, as if, you know, someone with a huge drink problem has been told, if you look through those copies, there's like a £50 voucher in there for threshers, <laughs> and they've just ripped them all apart, determined to find it. Uh, yeah, just just go through it methodically. Go through it. Draw at a time. Have a look through it. There's nothing in that drawer. There's just a, a spare tie clip that Simon Templar's put in there and a Gideon Bible, right? I don't have to look any further. I'll move on to the next one. Is that what ransacking is? Yes, I would say that probably the director's note to the actor was... <laughs> the room is ransacked. There's probably a module at drama school for ransacking, isn't there? Um, we used to, um, cause I was based in London. So we used to have one for mugging. Um, we used to have one for that. Charlie was at a better one than, than I was. So yeah, they did, they did ransacking. And I think now that's kind of been replaced by phone reaction, um, and texting, which is essential skill nowadays. Because if you're ransacking now, you're doing it digitally, aren't you? And the idea is maybe it's harder now because before, you know, you'd be looking for, well, in this case, in the Loaded Tourist, they're looking for um, a big box of jewellery or they're looking for a, a document, an A4 piece of paper or, or some legal papers. But nowadays, it's all your USB and they're tiny and you could hide them anywhere. I've got to put it in my shaving kit. Changed game, really is. I mean, people don't think about the way these things affect actors. No, you know, handling props. I know, you know, some of the younger generation of British actors when they are um, appearing in period pieces. So there's uh, some younger actors in the recent cinema release, Operation Mincemeat. They're older mentor actors, or sometimes they would bring in a consultant just to show them how to dial a phone. (laughs) Um, So they have phone coaches on a lot of period films, anything in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, they would have a phone coach. And actually, another thing that occurs to me that is out of date is uh, cigarette lighting. Yes, yeah. Again, we can't all vape nowadays. 
or, although there was someone on the bus doing it the other day, um, and I was worried that oh, maybe it might ignite all those ripped up copies of the Metro that was all over the floor. Uh, but yes, the idea of, yeah, vaping um, nowadays, and, and that would be a modern skill at drama school, you know, how to, to kind of like vape correctly. Mm. Make it look real. That's what you need to do. Make it look real. We're going to have a, a, a little post-Easter hiatus because I'm doing the International Man of Mystery bit. Okay, brilliant. Uh, until the middle of May. And one thing about how modern life has changed is I bet Simon Templer never had to fill in a passenger locator form. No. Although he has got the disadvantage of not having a wheelie case. Again, different acting skills carrying a suitcase and just wheeling a suitcase behind you. When you think about it, he probably wouldn't need a passenger locator form because every policeman in the world knows him. Knows, yeah. It's just, oh, this way, Mr Templer, coming in through through here and, and I'll chalk your X on your suitcase. And yeah, we'll see you in a bit. I'm sure you'll be contacting our local police following the burglary at your hotel. <laughs> yes, the untoward incidents. Yeah. Um, just looking forward to the next Simon Templar that's up on Talking Pictures TV, which is, uh, as we're speaking, the next Sunday, because they're slightly out of order. It's called The Arrow of God. And I suspect that it will be the episode out of all 118 episodes of The Saint that has the most Avengers points. But I'm not going to tell you why. Oh, wow. Oh, that's just going to tempt me, that is. Well, we're in the business of suspense. Thanks for listening to Rose Tinted Black and White Television. I'm Guy Morgan. My co-host was Dave Newell. And there'll be more nonsense shortly.